Have you ever felt forgotten? Some situation you're in at life, maybe growing up, maybe at school, maybe some situation at work or at home or with a friend or on vacation. There's some big problem, but nobody's noticing. Nobody's helping. And you're not even sure who to turn to. You feel so all alone as you're facing whatever you're facing. It makes the problem even worse, doesn't it? It causes us to feel more hopeless. Not just because of what we're facing, but because we feel alone as we face it. Well, there's one situation worse. I don't know if you've ever been there. I hope you haven't, but probably most of us have. And that is where it feels like not only have people forgotten us, but God has forgotten us. We're in some situation, we're facing something, we're praying and nothing seems to be happening. We're asking for God's help and we don't see that help. And nothing's getting better, sometimes things are getting worse. And one of the questions we ask ourselves is, God, are you even listening? And it's one of the most uncomfortable places we could ever be. And it's a place Joseph would totally understand. We've been looking at Joseph this summer, if this is your first Sunday here. A life that was really a roller coaster and which we can identify with. I think there's times where Joseph would gladly ask for a do-over. We saw that he didn't grow up in a typical home, at least not how you and I would call a typical home. Not only was there his father Jacob and his mom, there were three other moms all at the same time. And so between those four mothers, there were a total of 12 brothers, 10 of whom were his stepbrothers. As you might imagine, there were some interesting dynamics in that home. And Joseph wasn't innocent on, him, on his own. He was the most favorite of all the 12 sons, and he enjoyed that very much and let his brothers know that and stepbrothers. He wasn't afraid to uh, turn them in to their dad and get them in trouble. And he loved to flaunt his amazing coat that Jacob had given him. And out of all of that, Joseph experienced way beyond sibling rivalry. At one point, his brothers argued whether they would just outright kill him. And they ended up just getting rid of him by selling him into slavery. And at that, one of the low points in Joseph's life, he is taken by the slave traders into Egypt and sold to Potiphar. And his life, as he knows it, is over in every way that he can imagine. But God watches over Joseph. We saw that, and he hadn't forgotten Joseph. He didn't free him, but he did bless his efforts. And he becomes the one who manages Potiphar's household. And he was an important official in Pharaoh's government. But then, of course, we saw that the roller coaster took another dive. And Joseph refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife, and he remains righteous. And that righteousness costs him everything. And Potiphar's wife, because he refuses her, he's 
accused of her, by her, of making sexual advances towards him, and so Potiphar, of course, throws him in prison. So now he's lost everything again. First when he's sold by his brothers into slavery, and now when Potiphar throws him into prison. But God still was watching over Joseph, even though he didn't fix everything. Turn over to Genesis 39, and we want to pick up Joseph's life here as he's in prison and the second low point in his life. And unfortunately today, we're going to see Potiphar, uh, Joseph go into a third low point in his life. So uh, Genesis 39, I want to start at the end of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You get the impression, because the same story sort of happened in Potiphar's home, didn't it? Potiphar, Joseph was such an excellent manager, he was put in charge of the whole home. Now it happens in prison. I think Joseph just didn't have his MBA. He could have taught in the MBA school. He was obviously an excellent manager. God had given him those abilities, and God blessed his efforts both places. And so now he's again, he's still in prison. He is a prisoner. But he's given some comfortable situation and he's put in charge of that prison even though he's still in prison but for the story we want to look at today joseph is not just in prison but there's a couple other people join him one is the baker in our terms i like to think of him as pharaoh's pastry chef we all watch the food channel and all the pastry competitions well this guy was the pastry chef for pharaoh but he gets thrown in prison and then with him is also the cupbearer to Pharaoh. I would think of him as the head waiter, the, the personal valet for Pharaoh. Well, he's thrown in prison too. Now, at that point, doesn't it give you a cause? I'm not sure I want to work for Pharaoh. I, I, you want to talk about a tough boss. He doesn't like what you do, you're in prison. He doesn't just fire you, he throws you in jail. So suddenly Joseph's got these two guys in with him in prison. And it says that they were there together for some time. We don't know how long, but it wasn't just the next day. So now they're in prison with Joseph, and they're both, all three of them are there for a while. And then we're told in Genesis, on one night, both those men had a dream. Same night. And neither one of them had a clue what the dream meant. And they didn't know who to go to who could interpret the dream for them. Remember Joseph the dreamer? had had dreams growing up. He was kind of, he says, I think I could interpret your dreams. Tell them to me. So I want us to read the two dreams. First, the cupbearer, the, the head waiter. Over in Genesis 40, uh, starting in verse 9. So he tells Joseph, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. 
And that was my dream. And I think all of us are like, yeah, what's that mean? Well, Joseph said, I, I know what that means. In three days, you will be restored to Pharaoh's service, and you will once again serve Pharaoh. Good news. So you can just see the baker saying, hey, cool. Well, I had a dream too. Can I tell you my dream? And so down in verse 16, the baker shares his dream. I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Now, what's that mean? Joseph says, oh, sorry. Bad news. In three days, you will be executed. I, I feel for that baker. He, I think, had gotten a little excited when he heard the cupbearer's dream interpretation. And he's like, oh, good. And then Joseph says, sorry, you're not going to make it. And both dreams come true. In three days, the cupbearer is restored. In three days, the baker is executed. But there's a couple, one other thing I want you to notice for today as we look at Joseph's life, and that's in verse 14. When he interpreted the dream for the cupbearer who's going to live and be restored, Joseph says this to him, When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Unfortunately, the cupbearer didn't remember that request of Joseph. And down in verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And if you continue reading in Genesis 40, you'll see that two years went by for Joseph after this. He's already been there for some time. He interprets these two dreams, and he asks one thing of the guy who lives, the cupbearer, will you just remember me to Pharaoh and please try and get me out of this prison? And nothing happens for two years. Nothing. I think at some point Joseph had to ask, well, what is God doing? He didn't know. He just knew God was silent. Nothing was happening. I suspect, we know Joseph was a godly man, I suspect he was praying. But there were no answers coming. I suspect at some point Joseph started to feel like this situation is hopeless. I've tried to be righteous, I resisted Potiphar's wife, I did the right thing, and what did it get me? Prison. I interpreted these two dreams, I did the right thing, what did it get me? Nothing. And I'm sitting here. Joseph had all those dreams of greatness when he was young. His brother's sheaves were going to bow down to him. His brother's stars were going to bow down to him. He had his amazing technicolor dream coat. All the promises of life and all the big dreams and how everything seemed to be going so well for Joseph. And it's gone. 
and he is a forgotten slave sitting in a prison in Egypt. And I would think it felt like even God had forgotten him. And I wanted us to take a Sunday to look at that part of Joseph's life because I think most of us sooner or later have to wrestle with what I want to call God's silences. When we ask God for something and we don't hear anything back, we try and strike deals with him. God, if you'll just do this, I'll... Or God, if you'll take care of this, I'll never... And we try and make all of these bargains with God and nothing. We pray for someone to be healed. We pray for a situation to be resolved. We pray for help. And we don't see anything. I suspect you've been there. But the challenge for us is, what do we do then? What do we do? It's not easy. And we try and find quick fixes. And there's churches that, preachers on TV that promise if you'll just do this, you can claim and, and you can make God do what you want him to do. I think that's not true. God is God. And there's times his ways are not our ways. And he doesn't do what we want him to do. And that is a crisis of faith for many. It is a very tough time. I've mentioned this before. This is for me very personal. My, I'm in eighth grade. My dad is diagnosed with cancer and it's beyond help. And the prayers were just about coping with dad's death. And three months later, he's dead. But then my mom gets cancer. And for four years, she's fighting cancer. And my folks are godly. One of the only times I remember my mom being honest with me in a spiritual kind of what's going on inside her way is in tears, she said to me, as she's racked with cancer, I have prayed and prayed for forgiveness for whatever I did wrong to God, and he won't heal me. And that's all. And I'm a clueless high school senior at 17, and I have no idea what to say to her. She was wrestling with God's silence, and I watched it. I watched the elders of the church come and pray and anoint her with oil and nothing. And she still died. And I'm still that 18-year-old clueless kid about to enter college. I don't understand. And some of you are there right now. And some of you have been there, and some of you are going to be there. I may be there. We don't know what's coming. But too often we end up with Joseph in that prison. And we wonder, what's going on? 
and we can get angry with God, we can get frustrated with God, we can walk away from God, and some do. But my question for all of that, or my challenge and all that is, where else are you going to go? Because nobody else is God. Nobody else runs the universe. Nobody else runs life but God. So what do we accomplish by walking away from Him? We are just more alone. I understand why. I believe it's okay to say to God, God, I don't get it, and I don't think you're being fair, and I'm frustrated and angry. God can handle that. He's heard that from a lot of people over thousands of years. But don't walk away from him. There's a promise I want to give you from Scripture and I understand when you're in the midst of the pain, it seems impossible. But in Romans 8, 28, Paul says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Paul wrote this, he says, We know, because Paul knew this first person. Life had not always worked for Paul. He had done terrible things wrong as a Jew before he became a Christian. He'd killed Christians. He had been beaten. He had been persecuted. He had been shipwrecked in the ocean for days. Paul had faced all kinds of terrible circumstances that God didn't fix. We know he had some kind of physical illness or disability and he tells us, I have prayed repeatedly for God to heal it. And God said, no, I won't heal it. So Paul writes this from first person. This isn't theory. This isn't some preacher in a pulpit talking the way it should be. Paul says, I have learned, I know. I know that God is working for good in all situations. I've come to learn that. That doesn't mean he's seen God fix all those situations. But he had learned that God in his wisdom was doing things that would ultimately bring about good and that we have to trust him. We have to trust his heart, his genius, his timing, his plan, and that doesn't mean we don't have arguments with God. I've had them. Maybe you. There's times I've said to God, I cannot comprehend how you can bring anything good from this. You've had those too, maybe. God, you promise you can bring good from this. I don't see how. But he does. I can assure you for the year or two after my mom died and I was all alone, I said, that's impossible. Can't be. But I could list for you today a long list of how God brought good out of me losing my parents. That doesn't mean their death was pleasant or fun or easy. It wasn't that their death was good. It was that God used bad and brought good from it. 
It took me time to see that. And there's still some fine points of their death that I want to argue with God, and I wish he should have done it differently. But I would stand with Paul and say, I know this works. Now, if you're not there, you may say, whoa, how? But I want you to believe it is true. I want you to hear a song. I don't think I've ever done this before. I'm breaking the sermon, and we're going to hear a song. And there's a story behind this song, because I'd never heard this song. And a few weeks ago, we had a funeral here at church for Laura Seviola. Laura had battled cancer for, I think, a year and a half. And she prayed for God to heal her, and he didn't. And at her funeral, she had listed the songs she wanted played at her funeral, and this was one of them. I'd never heard it before. It touched me so deeply, Carrie, all of us. I just, it fits so much what I'm trying to say today. I would ask you to listen to it with me. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love. Is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life? Your mercies in disguise. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear, and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your What? 
message of that song is very powerful. But can we believe that Romans promise? How do we believe it when we're like Joseph in prison? We'll see next week in Joseph's life, it was true. Romans 8.28 came to pass and Joseph was blessed by God out of prison. But when you're in the midst of it, and you don't see that end and that blessing and how God is going to bring good, what do you do? How can we believe, trust, hold on? Well, for that, this is what Paul adds later. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not? along with him, graciously give us all things. When we're in prison, we all want to doubt God. Where are you? I don't hear anything now. So how do you trust him? You take communion. You hold that bread and you hold that cup and you remember that Jesus has died for you. God has already paid the highest price imaginable for you. He sacrificed his one and only son on the cross for you. As Paul says, you think he's going to give up on you now? You think he's going to bail on you? He has already paid the highest price. And that's how we can trust God. That's what we can hold on to. As we're wondering, God, where are you? But I know you care. That's why we've delayed communion till the, after the sermon. Because I want us to take communion from that viewpoint today. And if you're struggling with God's silence or God's plans or what he's doing, I want you to take that cup and that bread and hold it for a minute. And pray. And let God reassure you of how much he loves you and how committed he is to you. And that whatever he's planning, though it may surprise you, you have no doubt where he's coming from. Jesus said to his disciples, I have longed to eat this meal with you. If you're struggling today, Jesus longs to meet with you in this meal and reassure you with some juice and some bread 
of how much he loves you. Let me pray and then we're going to take communion. God, help us as we struggle with Joseph, understanding your goodness, understanding your love for us and what you're doing. Help us understand how big your love is for us. Jesus, thank you for your death for us. Help us never doubt your love for us. And that you will bring good in some way at some time. In your name. next week at how God brought good for Joseph from his loss. God makes that promise to all of us. If you're here today and you're struggling with God's silence, please take advantage of the prayer room and let people meet with you there and pray with you. Not that we have answers, but to find strength for your journey as you walk sometimes in what feels like silence. It's always dangerous to wing it, but I'm going to try something. Um, I try and put my myself in the minds of the person sitting there saying, yeah, right. Um, I want to ask, if you're here today and you would say in your own life, you've experienced what I've talked about, that God has brought good from bad. It may have taken a long time. Would you just raise your hand? Now keep that up for just a second. If you're sitting there today struggling, look around and see somebody that you might be willing to talk to. Okay, I just hope you see by the number of hands that this isn't a fairy tale. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's real, and it is true. Just as true it is that Jesus died on the cross for us. And you can find hope, and you can find strength in others. Don't try and do this alone. One of our Midwest Minnesota myths is suck it up and do it alone that is Satan making you more vulnerable Jesus knew we needed each other that's why he, crea he created the church talk pray together find strength in others that's what we're here for if you're a visitor today we welcome you we would love to help you too this isn't an exclusive club we're God's children let us help one another. Okay, we're going to close. I'm going to pray and we're done. I'm emotionally tired. I don't know about you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the hope that we have. 
And while it's hard to say, I'm glad your ways are higher than ours. Because while we like our plans, your plans are better. And we know that. Help us know that. Strengthen our faith when we have to hold on and wait in prison like Joseph. But help us find those around us with faith who can help us. Help us reach out and open up. Help us, Father. And may we rest in your love, the love that sent Jesus to the cross. And in that love, may we find peace and comfort and trust to hold on to your hand even as we walk through the valley of deep darkness. May your rod and your staff comfort us, for you are our good shepherd. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.